0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion for our Black Voices Matter series. I'm here as always with my friends Ubaldo and Mike. Say hi guys. Hey everybody.
1: Hey, welcome back.
0: So I'm really excited about the the guests that we have today, um, Tolanda Tolbert, uh, who uh, we affectionately call Dr. T. Um, is one of those folks that you keep on hearing about her in the DEI circles because but she's just she's such a jet setter that you never actually get a chance to meet her in person so you only hear about her and get to read about her and hear all the thought leadership that she's putting out there and then one day I was lucky enough to bump into her in Denver and I was like this person's amazing and I just wanted to make sure that we figured out ways to work together. So um, just to give a little background on Dr. T, uh, Dr. T actually spent 17 years at the Anti-Defamation League um, and also worked on Wall Street, uh, providing long-term strategies for DEI initiatives for Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 companies before she um, uh, last year, uh, co-founded a startup called Escalera. Um, which again is working to use uh, data science and, and evidence based findings to define and d- uh, discover how implicit bias is, is working within a company so you can actually start making changes within a company. Um, so, really excited about having Dr. T here. Dr. T, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate you all having me. So, I wanted to, the first question we always ask our guests is just to, to check in really, how are you feeling? Um, I have
2: been, um, I've definitely been better. Um, I, uh, about two weeks before the George Floyd, um, incident, uh, murder happened, I definitely, with the Ahmaud Aubrey situation, had gotten very, um, uh, shell-shocked from the kind of lack of, uh, response and watching somebody be hunted in the street in broad daylight. And uh, then, you know, along with the George Floyd situation and um, the Amy Cooper situation, which to me was also just, it was right up there because it was so sinister what was going on with her and this, you know, seeing this flip this, this switch being flipped in her around uh, race and weaponizing it and so forth. And so um, I, you know, it's been, it's been a long haul. um, And there was a time period where I was definitely um, not able to manage as well as I would have liked to have managed. Um, One of the, one of the instances that I uh, am very troubled by is just that, you know, we are dealing with, um, you know, generational trauma, and to see it on a loop uh, on the television is really brutal. So, um, you know, I'm from a generation that also saw, you know, Rodney King and Amadou Diallo get shot 41 times. Uh, You know, I... I remember James Byrd being drugged behind a truck for three miles. Um, And so to to see this kind of culmination that has been happening for so long happen with Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, you know, Tanisha Anderson, all of these people, um, and many of them people don't know the names of, was uh, a very difficult thing to navigate both Personally, uh, you know, within my family, because I come from a male-dominated family, I have four brothers, two have had uh, direct incidents with police brutality, and I have two sons that are 17 and, and 13 and, you know, are six foot tall. And have been since they were, you know, younger. And so, uh, you know, the worries, both personally, family-wise, and then professionally. I've been doing this work for over twenty years, and really just feeling like, what more do we have to do? And so, it, it was. It's. It's been a really difficult time, but um, you know, this this time does feel different the uh, the global recognition of what's going on really gives me hope. Um, people looking at their own governments and how race plays out, in them uh, is a really positive thing because uh, I've had the honor of living abroad for many years. And oftentimes people are like, no, that racism stuff just happens in the States. And it's like, oh no, it's here too. (laughs) How does all of, why are all of your poor people darker skinned than everybody else? And so, um, you know, the seeing who is showing up at these rallies was an important part of it for me. And seeing the white community come out uh, in droves and put some skin in the game was a a kind of key turning point along with the global recognition for me to kind of like, okay, you know, we we have to continue to march on and uh, use this opportunity.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think one of the things that is, is getting probably the most media coverage right now is that the structural racism in the in the police system. Yeah. But you, know, you were talking about it, it just goes way beyond that. Can you speak a little bit more to, to what that means? Sure. I mean, one of the things that I've
2: been struck by is just, you know, I feel like the, the conversation of structural racism is really interesting. Um, You know, there's been a really uneven discussion around structural racism. And I very much liken it to COVID, you know, it's something that up until now people haven't, you know, if you haven't been personally impacted by it, um, they're not so invested in eradicating it. And so the, the conversations around structural racism have really lacked they've been focused on policing and the prison industrial complex, and that is definitely manifestations of structural racism. But uh, structural racism really, it encompasses, you know, so much more than those institutions. It, you know, shows its face in a lot of our institutions. and. You know, people are tending to talk about it right now as, you know, systemic racism happens out there, but, you know, we all play a role in systemic racism. And some people play a role where they are the targets, like the Black community and Latinx community and and so forth. And some people are, their role is as anti-racist allies. And some people are agents, you know, the the, the gatekeepers who either consciously or c- unconsciously try to maintain the barriers to an inclusive society. So I mean, to me, the truth of the matter is, is that structural racism is not happening over there. We are all part of it and we're all impacted and very much in the same kind of vein that COVID is operating in, it's gonna take both individual and kind of collective accountability and action to actually dismantle it. And so I just feel like people don't get that, you know, we are all playing a role in kind of systemic racism. Everybody is inside of this system. And as we, you know, Are beginning to have the uh, conversations and understandings about those kind of contours of the negative impacts of racism for Blacks and Browns um, as targets, whether those be financial or emotional or social or physical, literally taking tolls on our bodies uh, and our lives. there are negative impacts of racism for everybody and even the agents and the people who are really trying to maintain those barriers to inclusion. And so one of the, and and I I feel like there's a lack of discourse around them because, and, and we can really see, these things happening to people around us or on Fox News, you know, for people who are trying to maintain these racist um, institutions um, and practices, you know, they really operate in a false reality. Uh, They, you know, are, are operating with incomplete or totally false information about the world and the people in it. And therefore, you know, when your information is false, you don't make rational decisions. And so they suffer from that. You know, with this false reality, they can't see opportunity um, or talent if you're talking about the workplace um, in others. And they, they limit themselves uh, because they isolate themselves from people who are different from them And so they have these very limited social interactions. And so they don't get exposed to things like that diversity of thought. And that ultimately limits how much they learn and how much they grow, uh, how much they can adapt to our world. Uh, They develop less empathy in general, and they operate in this, this space of unnecessary fear and anxiety that really um, impacts the quality of relationships with those who are different and impacts how they walk in the world. And so like things like that, I feel like, um, I wanna make sure that people understand that structural racism uh, impacts everybody including those people who are, you know, trying to keep, you know, those gatekeepers. And so, I feel like that when we talk about this structural racism, we have to have a lot more clarity on what it means in order to kind of dismantle it.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there, there's there's truly an introspection happening, right? Not only at for us as individuals, but as you know, organizations, for example um who, who have, have to like there, this isn't to me i, I don't know my, my opinion is that this is a either or kind of conversation right now this yeah. isn't uh well it's not a nice to have um I mean what do you say to people and, and i don't know if you get this feedback or not but i, I imagine there's you know you, there's a lot of feedback especially from white people who are who are saying oh my gosh this is it's just so overwhelming yeah i mean you know, what do you say to somebody like that? How do you respond to those types of emotions and
1: responses,
3: mm-hmm. you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. It is overwhelming and it's really overwhelming to live with it your whole life. And so it's it's overwhelming right now because, um, you know, when you find out this kind of new information that you've been taking part in and then you don't know where to start. And so I think that that's an important aspect of it. And I just feel like if you are able to see the different aspects of structural racism, you can kind of uh, apply your realm of power to dismantling it in a lot of ways. And so, you know, we have some key elements that really keep structural racism in place. We have you know, these ideological components of structural racism, those core ideas that create that premise that, um, you know, African-Americans, Blacks in general, globally are inferior, inferior in general. And that validates why we don't have power. And so these narratives that have been going on since the 1600s of, Uh, Blacks being like, they're savages, they're animals, they're uncivilized are key. And we still see those narratives happening in the media and so forth. And those ideas of when people are watching, watching, um, you know, uh, Different kinds of riots and things on TV. And you listen for these things that are the ideological basis for this structural racism. And you can see people are saying words around, you know, how are they, you know, they're so uncivilized and, you know, they're acting like wild animals and so forth. And that you'll see throughout every place. And that's some place to me that um, we always want to give people the tools to interrupt that narrative because those ideas of savage, animal, uncivilized, um, have, you know, those are really some of the roots of structural racism. And we see that as early as the 16th and 17th century, you know, religions you know, debated if Black and indigenous people were humans. And um, these ideas of Blacks being soulless savages and non-humans really helped to justify the brutal treatment um, that we received during slavery and today. And so, um, so anytime you kind of hear those things, I want those things to be red flags to people. When they hear the media saying things around uh, blacks being, you know wild and uh, you know, not being civilized or whatever the adjectives are that they want to put towards it, the, the, the meaning is always the same. like somebody to be controlled because they can't control themselves. And those ideas, you know, questioning them and interrupting when those ideas are proffered really become critical to kind of interrupting systemic racism. And then, of course, those ideas get embedded into the institutions, Um, you know, these ideas of blacks being uncivilized. Is what fueled the economy, right? So they came up with the mid-Atlantic slave trade and Jim Crow and sharecropping. And, you know, our, our economy still is, as we see in COVID, the people who are often on the front lines are people who uh, of color who are doing manual labor and so forth. And so it still is showing its head through our economy. Uh, you know, another institution um, that is, you know, kind of beyond also, uh, you know, uh, the police and the prison system is just government and how those ideas um, get manifested in the government. And of course we remember when blacks were one considered chattel and then progress was three-fifths of a human, that was progress. And, you know, we've had laws on the books about mixing races up until damn near the 80s. Um, and we still see these ways that government institutionalize uh, racism through voting rights and those things being put down and weakening of voting rights laws, uh, especially in the South, uh, you know, And the gerrymandering that goes on, um, those kinds of things are representative of how the government has really institutionalized racism. And so those laws are something that we have to pay particular attention to. And then, you know, people often talk in these discourses more around. you know, the fairness of all of this and so forth. And we're really not talking about people, you know, these these aspects of institutional racism have been going on since the beginning of the United States. And, um, and so it's really important for people to understand that it's not necessarily they're personal, that they personally did something, but they are personally accountable. We have had these structures, these institutionalized structures that have been excluding Blacks for just so long um, from a lot of what I would call white affirmative action, you know, laws that really helped put the um working class whites into middle class things like the Social Security Act. Um this is, you know, the opportunity for people to save for retirement and all of these things. It specifically excluded agricultural workers and domestic servants. And guess who were agricultural workers and domestic servants in the 30s? This is when the Social Security Act passed. And so, you know, these kinds of structures that marginalized um, communities who have that had the least opportunity to save, least likely to have pensions, most vulnerable to economic recession um, were systematically excluded from these protections and benefits granted to most Americans. This, things like the Social Security Act weren't even amended um, to include all workers until 1955. you know this uh, you know whites had a 20 year head start on retirement. Uh, you know my my parent this is when my parents are around. We're not talking about you know centuries ago, we're talking about things that are embedded in our laws. The same thing happened with the right to unionize. It excluded when when and this was also in the 30s, it excluded non-whites which really locked uh, blacks and people of color out of the middle class, higher paying jobs, you know, denied those protections and benefits, medical care, full employment, job security, all of those things, you know, um, barring them from even, you know, trying to do better and uh, and get ahead in the United States. Um, these you know, these laws um, started being changed in the 50s, but, you know, even the impact of those laws around unions, um, unions remained white well into the 1970s. And so it just becomes like one of these things where, okay, again, in this, you know, when people wanna kind of compare like, well, why why is this happening? to um people of color. It's been happening to people of color. And so um and even things like uh the Federal Housing Authority. And this was a program that was subsidizing low-cost loans for home ownership. Um and you know this is the the basis of the American dream. Um, and the government set up an appraisal system that really tied property value and loan eligibility explicitly to race. I mean, explicitly, like you can't get these loans unless you're white. These things weren't even rectified into 1988. And we see that still people of color, you know, are on the bottom of the pile during the housing market crash with the predatory lending and gentrification, et cetera. This stuff shows up not only in government, in science, in public health, you know, education, uh, you know, at, of among many and, and the media among many of the institutions where, um, you know, we have this kind of racism that's embedded in it. And so I think that that is something that definitely fuels how people treat um, Blacks and people of color based on these ideas of inferiority. And and then that gets kind of manifested in how people not only treat them, But, um, and also just how, you know, black children struggle to claim their racial identity in a positive light because when somebody has said, hey, your people are animals and these institutions are, you know, marginalizing them and people are following me in stores and clutching purses when I'm around and doing microaggressions to make me feel like I don't belong. Then you know it's hard to get to a positive place about how you feel about yourself in this society.
3: Th- yeah,
1: th- This is yeah. Go, Michael. Go for it. We're probably going <laughs> to say the same Sorry, thing. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> no go. <laughs> well, I uh, yeah. This is um, I'm such a history nerd, and I uh, love the history lesson. Thank you so much because I um, I truly believe that. Uh, these generations right so even from social security administration to fair housing like they th- were still reaping the injustice and, and inequities of those laws um today and so um so i totally i totally buy into that however you started with um you know whites um and organizations putting some skin in the na- game and really some financial skin in the game You're hearing, um, we're hearing uh, just on the podcast alone of organizations, CEOs that have never uh, spoken up about Black Lives Matter before, not only uh, speaking up about it, but also uh, donating large sums of money. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, all of those laws that you're talking about are financial and economic instruments of oppression. And now and now and now we have white CEOs of really large companies who are saying, yeah, for us to to ride, you know, this 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 will raise the boats, you know, for all we need Mm -hmm. economic support. And so I'd love to get, you know, kind of kind of your 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 thought process on that.
2: Absolutely. And um, I couldn't agree with you more. So uh, what I'm feeling right now is, you know. 20 plus years in the business my main concern is really sustainability and so these perfunctory kind of statements uh from organizations don't mean a lot for me uh but you know putting that skin in the game investing where it needs to be invested and it not being called affirmative action like i said there's affirmative action for white people all the time that's our history (laughs) you know and so. I, I feel like not only can they put their money where their mouth is in this, in uh, you know supporting uh, communities, but this has got to be. Often, I even worry about that because it be it becomes a checked box or window dressing to say, "Hey, look at me! I'm not racist." And so this, you know, sustainability is key for me. This is not a one and done. This is not about a lip service thing. To me, integration is the name of the game. And they need to change their culture in their organizations. You know, these people don't have people of color and Black people at the, the top echelons. Um, they are not recruiting people. The way they're interviewing people is biased. How they identify talent is biased. How they develop, how they advance people, how they pay people. All of these things need to be looked at, and inclusion is really a, um, it is really a something that, you know, it's 101 little things that you have to do to create a culture of inclusion. And the people have to invest long-term. And so right now, during this economic downturn, a lot of organizations are cutting, uh, you know, budgets uh, and cutting jobs. And again, who, are those budgets, you know, for D and I in organizations, and those jobs? There are so many, in particular, women of color that are being let go, and budgets that are to do this important work being cut at a time where it's even more important to put informa- you know, those things, um, to work in your organization. And that's why our organization Escalera really believes in one. You know, you have to develop this deep self and social awareness around othering and marginalization. You have to go beyond people just being aware into actually giving them the tools to do better and making this ongoing learning instead of a one and done kind of situation and really investing in monitoring the culture in real time to track sentiment and cultural change and behavior change. And that's the beauty of technology right now is that gives us those abilities. And then giving the employees the tools to change their behavior. We give people evidence-based behavioral nudges and tips on how to do inclusion. Because it's my belief that people want to do better, but they don't know how to do better. And it's about the things that you do and the things that you don't do. And so our inclusion index measures all of these things in organization. And we're right now, um, if people go to escalera.com, uh, you know, giving people three month free access to our training just so that they can really build that stamina to have really effective conversations about race and racism.
3: I uh, this this is for our audience, I mean, this is one of um, this is one of the m- most important episodes we've done on this because I think, Dr. T, you've you've really honed in on and given people individuals um, a start a starting place to really understand why this this is a thing and why this change needs to happen. Um, you know, I think we've we other guests have sort of have talked about it and we've talked about it, and um, but this felt to me like a true fine point. You know, the whole discussion around the the systemic way that this is permeated in every single thing that we do as a country Mm -hmm. and, and where, where I think people who are asking the question and, and leaders and organizations who are asking the question of, well, what, what, what can I do? Like, what do we do? It's looking back at yourself and back at your organization to, I think, figure out exactly where all those systemic issues live. And yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be everywhere. But that's, I think, where as organizations, you know, our audience of, of leaders, I think that's, that's a huge takeaway. And that's a huge eye opener for me from your conversation, Dr. T is, is, is that like, if you want to figure out how, how, how to help it's one, it it exists, there's no question. And two, now you got to go figure out where it exists in everything that you do every single day in your company. That's right. And start there.
2: Absolutely. Um, and
3: that's huge. And the, so, I, and I, you know, the, the uh, three month training, like everybody should be taking that it starts there, right? It starts with awareness and understanding and education.
2: Absolutely. And, um, and the, and the three month training, I mean, it's great because you basically are going through little 10 minute nuggets of things and then being, you know, here's what you do, you know, try this out, do these tips, like, I mean, it's like, if you're looking for direction, as you know, that's what we know that people need the, what do I do now that I know, and that's the important part. Yeah,
3: completely agree. Oh man, Dr. T, thank you for this conversation so much. It's, it's just continues to be such a learning journey for me personally, but I, you know, it's, it's like we, I don't know. Uh, thank you. <laughs> That's all Absolutely. I can
0: say. Absolutely. It's my pleasure and keep doing the good work. You too, Dr. T. And thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to all our listeners, uh, who, who came in, uh, today, uh, we will be posting this episode, onto our website, ChooseInclusion.com, and you'll also be able to download it on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and see closed captions on YouTube. So we're gonna continue the Black Voices Matter series uh, this afternoon and every day uh, until the foreseeable future. Uh, But thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.
3: Bye.
1: Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dr. T. Take
3: care, everybody. Thanks.